Hi, my name is Christy Kramer, and this is Michigan Unsolved, the true crime podcast that is solely focusing on unsolved cases in Michigan. There is no case too small. My goal is to give victims of unsolved crimes the voice they deserve. Welcome back. I cannot believe that we're coming up on the end of February already. Uh, it feels like just yesterday we were celebrating Halloween and Thanksgiving and Christmas. And um, it it's just mind-blowing to me that any time now here in Michigan, we will see the trees budding and the flowers blooming and I am definitely looking forward to getting some work done in my um, backyard and hopefully getting some landscaping done. And I'm sure, you know, everyone out there listening is excited about the same thing. I know here in uh, the Metro Detroit area, we got hit with some ice last night. And it's just crazy because Wednesday it was almost 60 degrees. So you gotta love that Michigan weather and the constant changing around us. Um, and it's kind of ironic that um, weather comes into play here because it, w- the weather actually comes in to um, a part of today's case. And uh, I, I want to kind of jump right into it because this is, this is a little bit longer one because it's actually three cases in one. And I'm calling it the Michigan Three. It's a story of three girls who were murdered in the early 80s. I will be quite honest with you. I had never heard of these cases before. Now, given in the early 80s, I was only a few years old myself. I was born in 77. But uh, one of the girls in this story or case, her sister is extremely active in keeping her sister's story alive. And she constantly is posting on social media. She is, she doesn't even live in Michigan anymore. And she is still just so active trying to help find her sister's killer so that her family can have the justice that it deserves. And I just think that that is so incredible this girl, when she, when, um, her sister went missing, um, Cindy was only 13 years old. Okay. And like, she's, I've seen multiple interviews with her where she doesn't even have a ton of memories from, from that time of her life anymore as you know, you age through the years, but the passion she feels to find her sister's killer is just absolutely amazing and I have to commend her just like last week's episode where we talked about um, Paige Romkowski's mom artist and how active she is in the missing community unfortunately sometimes it does take a tragic event like like somebody going missing or something somebody being murdered to spark that interest to really get us to push forward and do something. And um, Cindy doesn't just focus on her sister's case, but she focuses on other cases as well. And that's kind of how I found out about this. Somebody contacted me because they had seen one of Cindy's posts on the Livingston County Facebook page. And when I started looking into it and I saw this intense connection that I felt compelled to kind of like drop everything else that I've been working on and deep dive into this. And, you know, unfortunately, just like I've said before, with especially with older cases, and one of the reasons these cases are are unsolved is because there's just such little information out there. But I mean, I've had been going through 
old like newspapers from the 80s just trying to get as much detail as I can and I, I'm going to try to provide you with everything that I possibly have have come across but there's a lot of little tidbits here that are just seriously astonishing and I look forward to sharing with them sharing them with you because if anything else and I know I've said this before too but who knows what you might have seen it may only take a tiny little spark to to make you remember something and I mean this is 40 years ago but I'll, I, will, I will tell you okay the other day I was sitting in my living room and there was this overwhelming sense of smell that I don't know what it was. It only lasted for about 10 seconds, but the smell transported me to my grandmother's living room, a living room that I have not been in in 20 years, but the, it just triggered a memory for me. And yeah, that was a smell, but it's still a sense and sight, hearing, all of that touch, it's all a sense and those things trigger. So maybe something that I say to you today will remind you, maybe the color of somebody's clothes or the direction that they were walking or something that they were doing, maybe it will remind you of something. You never know. And as I was talking to one of my friends the other day about this, and we we were discussing this exact thing, just about you, we just don't know what can potentially solve one of these cases. And yeah, I mean, I would be thrilled if my podcast led to somebody's justice. But even so, like I, and I've said this a hundred times, their voice, they, they deserve to have their story told because you know they deserve a voice so today i'm going to tell you about three young women uh the first one her name is Anne marie dorgazi and the second one is kimberly luisel and the third is christina castellon now, all three of these girls were murdered. I will tell you right now that their murders were extremely, extremely vicious and brutal. And I'm just forewarning you now, I am going to give some details here because I do think that it's important. So if you feel that listening to this may not be something that you want to hear. I please feel free to sign off now. I completely understand. But uh, I just feel because there is a potential for a connection between these three. So the details of their murders is extremely important for that fact. And that's something that I will get into after I tell you all three of the stories. And trust me, as I go through it, you're going to be like, whoa, <laughs> you're going to you're going to see what I mean, because just as I was reading each one, I'm connecting the dots in my head. So. So first, like I said, I would like to tell you about Anne Dorgazi. Uh, she um, at the time of her disappearance and death was 20 years old and she um was her her older brother was working at Camp Dearborn. And if you don't know what Camp Dearborn is, it's in Milford and the city of Dearborn, which is just outside of the city of Detroit, purchased this land in um in Oakland County where they created this camp for the people who live in Dearborn to go and have kind of like a retreat type of thing, like, like a place to hang out. So they had youth camps and they have cabins there. And I believe there's like a lake. So it's a pretty cool, pretty cool area. So, um, Anne's brother, Bill worked at the camp as a youth camp counselor. And Anne worked there as kind of like a maintenance laborer where 
she would go and she would help set up tents and cabins and, you know, if things needed to be done, she would fix them or, and she actually lived on site. She did not have a car. She lived in a trailer on the property. So when there was, there was, I guess, like a gas station corner store down the road and that's where a lot of the people would go for like snacks or cigarettes and stuff like that. So on um, September 26, 1981, uh, she was actually, this was a Saturday, and she was actually not scheduled that weekend to work, but because she lived on site, you know, she was still there. And uh, that evening, as I said, she lived in a trailer, so she would, the they had like a on-site bathroom shower house kind of thing. And she was in the shower house taking a, um, like washing her hair, taking a shower. So she was actually seen by somebody in the shower house, um, drying her hair that evening. So they suspect that after she dried her hair, she walked down the street to the, um, like the convenience store, corner store, gas station type of thing. And as I said, she wasn't scheduled to work. So when she didn't come back, nobody really questioned it. Nobody was really looking for her because they did not, you know, she wasn't supposed to, you know, be like out and about because she wasn't working. So, you know, maybe she, they thought maybe she went and hung out with somebody or maybe, you know, she went to her family's place or something, but, uh, you know, nobody really questioned why she wasn't around. So by Tuesday, September 29th, so this is, you know, essentially four days after she was seen. She was seen Saturday night and then Tuesday morning. So there was like two solid days that she was gone. One of her coworkers, who was also a police officer, and they had become friends through working at the camp because he was a police officer that actually patrolled the camp. So they were friends and he became concerned that he, like she didn't show up for work. So at 10 o'clock, he calls it in that she's potentially missing. Well, unfortunately, just about 15 to 20 minutes before he made that phone call, a 15 year old boy was walking down the road that is just off of the camp. So as I said, this is in Milford, Michigan, and there is a road called General Motors Road, and it runs just along the south side of the camp. Actually, I believe it's the, yes, the south side of the camp. And um, as he was walking along the camp, he found um, a woman's body. Now, this kid is 15. My heart just breaks for him because... I can't even imagine what that must have been like because unfortunately when he found her, her, she was wearing her socks, um, but her shirt had been pulled up over her head and her jeans and her underwear were on the ground near her body. Uh, they also found, uh, her, um, her jacket and I believe her purse near her body as well. Um, there was money in her body, in her, not in her body, I'm sorry. There was money in her purse. So they do not believe that robbery was the motive. Now, I know what you're thinking. She's practically naked. You know, your, your head, my head, when I read this, went straight to sexual assaults. But according to the autopsy, they did not find evidence that she was sexually assaulted. Now, I will get back to that in one minute because I found that to be very interesting. So, her, um, she was killed by strangulation. Okay, so, when you, when you think about that, how, when you think about strangling somebody to the point that they die the 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 amount of 
I don't even know how to describe it, but the amount of force needed to strangle a, a girl who not only just like a, a woman, but this was, she, she was, um, five foot nine. She was not a little kid. I mean, she was a very tall woman. I mean, I'm five, seven. I'm tall. She was five foot nine. Okay. This was not going to be an easy task to strangle the life out of somebody. Okay. So her, her cause of death was strangulation. But here's the kicker. Okay. And this is what really disturbs me. Outside of everything else, her body was found at approximately 945 that morning. Okay. She'd been missing since Saturday night. That was the last time she was seen. Nobody saw her at all on Sunday or Monday. So that is two full days that she was gone. But it had rained early Tuesday morning. So just a few hours before her body was found, it had rained. The ground was wet. But Anne's body was not. Her clothes were not wet. Her her jacket, her, um, her purse, they were not wet. So do you see where I'm going here? How not only did this person strangle the life out of her, but he killed her somewhere. And the police believe that, um, according to the Milford police, they believe that she was killed in an unknown location on the 27th or the 28th. So either Sunday or Monday. And then they left. They, I don't like to use the word dumped, um, because I just think that that is so degrading that a body was dumped, but I'm going to try to use the terminology of left. Okay. But this piece of garbage left this, this beautiful 20 year old girl in a ditch on the side of the road for somebody to find. She was not concealed. She was just laying in this ditch right off the side of this road. And I've driven this road before. This isn't like a five foot deep dish ditch. This is just like, um, kind of like a drain, like a drain on the side of the road type of thing. Like, a, I don't even know what you would call it, but like a, like a little slight ditch, you know, easily, easily visible from the road. And, um, he just left her. Now the police also state that after her body was found, a, a typed written letter was sent to the police. Um, I do not know what the letter says. Um, they have not released any information about the letter except that they received one. Um, now the police do say that they do have a suspect. Maybe the letter pertains to that. I don't know, but, um, yeah, they, they honestly do believe that they, they know who did this and they just don't have the evidence, um, to charge him with anything. And unfortunately with Anne's case, that's, that's pretty much all the detail that we have on that. It's, um, you know, I, like I said, I've, I've read so many articles. I've searched newspapers and articles online and I've tried to find, um, interviews and, and other podcasts. And there's such little information about Anne. And I don't know if it's because she was, I don't want to say quote unquote, the first victim, because, you know, I can't say that these are all connected, but there was just very little information regarding her specific case. Um, I do have to question whether or not she was sexually assaulted or not because it, you know, it was the early 80s and um, how much, uh, you know, I, I don't know how detailed the autopsy was or anything like that. So part of me does, does question. I mean, anytime that you see somebody, you know, that they're essentially, you know, naked laying on the ground. And I don't know. I have to question that. 
I, part of me also wonders, and you'll understand why I say this, um, but part of me wonders if he his intention was to assault her and the choking was more of a subdue tactic so that he could um, assault her and then she accidentally died, which... I think is a definite possibility. I don't know if that's been considered by the police, um, but I have a hard time believing that this beautiful 20 year old girl is naked in a ditch and um, assault, sexual assault was not involved. Whether um, it actually happened or it was the intent, uh, I, I do believe that there was some connection there. So, um, and that's going to bring us, uh, we're going to fast forward to March of 1982. Okay. So Anne, um, was, went missing on September 26, 81 and found September 29th, 81. And here we are coming up to March 20th, 1982. So what is that about four, five, six months later. Um, and this is the case of Kimberly Lewisell, who, and this breaks my heart to say this, but this is a child. This is not a woman. This was a literal child. Um, she turned 16 on March 3rd and she went missing on March 20th. Now, um, you know, I, I was 16 once, um, you know, I have a uh, teenager myself, um, kids that age think they know everything and think they're invisible, invincible. Uh, like I said, last night we got a lot of ice and, uh, I text Adam and I told him, I said, look, I slipped through two red lights this morning. Um, and there's black ice everywhere. I need you to be careful all wheel drive does not work on ice, only snow. And I'm sure I guarantee you, he did not respond to my text, but I guarantee you he's laying in bed, reading my text messages and just grumbling to himself. I know mom, I know mom. Unfortunately, when, um, you think, you know, everything bad things can happen. So, and I'm not Please do not mistake that to mean that anything that happened to Kim is her fault because it's not. Most assuredly not. Um, so Kimberly Lewisell, like I said, she had just turned 16. She was actually, um, she had a boyfriend um, who was considerably older. He was uh, three years older than her. Okay, so I'm not exactly sure if he was like, if he just, if he was 18, 19, but he, from what I was told, he is three years, he was three years older than her. Um, Kim had, uh, a younger sister, um, Cindy, I believe she had an older sister too, but Cindy is the one that has been extremely active in helping to find Kim's killer. Um, she was known as the local babysitter. She loved to horseback ride. She loved dancing. She loved going to the beach. Uh, she wanted to be a nurse. Okay. She, she had dreams and desires, you know, and, and that is one thing that just literally breaks my heart about this is because, you know, so young, you know, but like I said, she had this boyfriend and back in the eighties, if you were, I, like I said, I was a kid. I was a little kid in the eighties, but, uh, I know hitchhiking was a big thing. I do remember. Okay. I remember my parents buying a, uh, Chevy station wagon. Uh, I don't, I'm assuming it was a GM, but I remember clearly it had the, the hatch lifted up in the back and there was a bench seat in the back that, uh, we could sit in and I thought it was so cool, you know, and we, my, my grandmother, and one of the reasons this case stuck out to me is because she disappeared really close to my grandma's house 
And that this one and the next one, both of them disappeared from Redford. And like, I know these areas so well. And they, this is just like totally trippy for me because I do, I, I relate to this. But I vividly remember driving from my grandma's house to our house and we had to take Telegraph Road, which is kind of like a main, um, it's a main, I think eight lane road. I think there's four lanes going north and four lanes going south. And it essentially takes you from, uh, I couldn't even tell you how many miles. It's a very long road. Okay. And, but we would go the, the two miles, two, two miles on, um, Telegraph Road from my grandma's house to my house. And I remember sitting in the back of this station wagon on this little bench seat so that we and we could see behind us. And I vividly remember seeing hitchhikers. Now I was probably, it was about this time, probably the early eighties, maybe, um, I would have had to have been at least five or six. So uh, I'm going to guess about 83, 84. And like vividly remember seeing people with their thumb out hitchhiking and asking my parents what they were doing. And they told me they were looking for a ride because that's what it was thought of. People were just looking for rides. Okay. Um, you know, I remember going camping and driving through Jackson and seeing the signs that say, don't pick up hitchhikers. Didn't know why. Do now, though, because Jackson is where the um, Jackson State Penitentiary is. But yeah, you don't want to pick up hitchhikers there. But um, yeah, I mean, people were looking for rides. Their thumbs were out and they're hitchhiking. That was a big mode of transportation in the early 80s. So back to Kim. Kim's boyfriend lived near her. Kim lived in um, Green Oak, which is near South Lyon. Okay. And uh, that is in Livingston County. And she, like I said, her boyfriend lived near her and him and his mom, and I believe his two brothers, they had to move and they were going to be moving to Detroit. But while they were waiting for their place in Detroit to be ready, they went and stayed with a cousin of theirs in Redford. Okay. So she wanted to, this put a big time strain on their relationship because they, uh, she, she didn't have a car. She was six, just turned 16 and her boyfriend didn't have a car. So she would hitchhike. Not only would she hitchhike, but her little sister, Cindy, would go with her. They would skip school. They would hitchhike. Like I said, it was the norm. It was what people did. Well, they were getting, Cindy and, and Kim were getting in a lot of trouble for skipping school. Kim was in high school and Cindy was in middle school. And their parents sat them down and they were like, look, you guys have got to stop this. You got to stop skipping school. You need to start trying harder you know, no more hitchhiking. It's not safe. And they agreed. Okay, we're going to stop. Well, let's, again, let's in our heads be 16. Let's be honest, it's not going to happen. And um, on the morning of the 18th, March 18th, Kim um, I don't know if she got in trouble at school. There are some reports that she got suspended, others that she just skipped, but she left high school and she walked over to the middle school, which is like on the same property as the high school. And so she walked over to talk to her sister and she went over to, to Cindy and she's like, Hey, you know, I'm going to go visit my boyfriend. I want you to come with me. And Cindy's like, I don't think so. You know, we just promised mom and dad we're not going to do this anymore. Um, she goes, I, I don't want to go. And um, Kim said, well, you know what? I'm I'm going. So, like I said, that was on the 18th. On uh, 
Kim left. She she did. She she hitchhiked to Redford to, to hang out with her boyfriend. And, you know, Cindy didn't want her sister to get in trouble. So she waited. She waited till the next day on the 19th. And, you know, she's 13. She's just looking out for her sister, not thinking anything bad was going to happen. So she told her mom on the 19th that um, she went to her boyfriend's house. And, <clears throat> excuse me, and, um, you know, everything, it's not like she hadn't done that before. Okay, she'd, she'd taken off a few times and, and stayed with her boyfriend for a couple of days. And um, so on the, on the 20th, uh, they, her boyfriend says, you know what, uh, this really is just not working out for me anymore. They, he said that, you know, the distance is, is too much. It's too hard for him to, to see her, for her to see him. You know, there were just a lot of factors, but another one of the factors is the fact that he was actually dating somebody else at that time. So he says, you know what? I've got to go to work. You're going to have to find a way home. Who does this? I mean, and he's, he's an adult. He's, you know, 18, 19. Um, he borrowed his cousin's car and left and drove to work. So, um... You know, Kim is like, you know, I can't be here anymore. We just broke up. I'm heartbroken. I need to get home. So her her boyfriend, her, her ex-boyfriend at that time, his little brother says, you know what? I'm going to walk you um, down to the corner of the road. And, uh, you know, she was going to hitchhike home because, again, that's what you did. That was a mode of transportation. So he does, he, he walks her to the corner and she proceeds to hitchhike and a car pulls up and, you know, he's thinking this is, you know, this is a little awkward. You know, I don't, it didn't sound like he was a big hitchhiker himself. So he actually had the forethought to write down the license plate number of the car that picked her up. And thank God he did. And she gets in this car and she proceeds to drive off. Well, the driver of this car takes her as far as, I believe it was 8 Mile in Merriman, which is, I believe I wrote down how many miles that is from her home. Um, it actually was not that far. It was, he took her to 8 Merriman, which was 18 miles from her home. And... It's about 6.30 at this point, maybe 6, 6.30 p.m. And she she walks a little bit up the road to a payphone because back then there were no cell phones. You had to use a payphone. And she calls at least four people and asks them for a ride. And they all keep telling her, you know, no, we can't. We have, there's too many things going on. Um, nobody... You know, nobody kept, nobody could, you know, come pick her up. And actually, at 6.30 p.m., one of Kim's, one of the friends of her family saw her at Aiton Merriman. So not only did this guy say, this is where I dropped her off, but somebody that is a friend of the family actually saw her. Now, unfortunately, she was late for an appointment and she could not um, stop to pick her up and I'm sure hindsight I'm sure she regrets that but unfortunately um she went on her way and at that point um Kim was not seen alive again now the next day Kim's parents reported her missing now I want you to think about this um your daughter you were told your daughter is coming home. Okay. Um, she does not. You report her missing. And the police ask you, has she ever done something like this before? Has she ever gone away before? And they said, well, yeah. You know, she's gone. She's left a few times. She skipped school. 
gone to her boyfriend's house. And the police tell you, she'll be back. And you tell them, no, something is wrong. You need to help us find our child. And the police continuously say, she'll be back. She'll be back. That was April, that was March 20th. On April 14th, 1982, five miles from home, right off of Kensington Road near um, Grand River Avenue. This is very close to I-96, a main highway, as you'll remember from last week's episode, uh, Paige Renkowski. This is not too far from Paige dis- where Paige disappeared. I don't know if you know what a park and ride is. Um, it's kind of like a carpool lot where people can park their cars and um, kind of uh, converge into one. You know, let's, you're going to carpool together. So you will you may park multiple cars and then everybody gets into one car or two cars and everybody gets into one car. It's called a park and ride. So right there, um, like I said, five miles from her home, you're talking... 14 or so miles from where she was seen at 8 Mile and Merriman, okay? Um, there's this park and ride, and there's a fence around it at this time. I don't believe there is anymore, but at this time there was a fence. And there was a hole in the fence where some of the local kids would sneak through to go into the, into the trails. Well, there was a couple um, with their dog. They, were, they had stopped in this little parking lot to let their dog use the restroom. And as they're walking um, into the tree, treed area, trails, um, the man was ahead a little bit with his, with his dog. And uh, he stopped his wife and had her go back to the car because uh, he did not want her to see what he had found. In the, in the brush off of a trail was 16-year-old Kimberly Lewisell. She was completely naked. There were uh, none, none of her clothes or any of her belongings were ever found. Um, unlike Anne, um, there was no doubt uh, that Kim had been sexually assaulted. Repeatedly. She had been beaten. Repeatedly. She had been strangled. Repeatedly. She had been strangled so many times. That the degree. Of bruising on her neck. From multiple instances. Of strangling was evident. And let me tell you why. Kimberly was found on April 14th. She had only been dead for four to six days. Kimberly was held for over two weeks. Repeatedly raped. Repeatedly beaten. Repeatedly strangled. She was tortured. And nobody but her family was looking for her. The police said she'll come back. Her parents knew. Her sister knew. But they told her that she'd be back. It's just so absolutely heartbreaking to to think of what this child endured. Um, unfortunately, very little DNA was found on her body. 
and the small amount that was found was stored wrong and contaminated and is no longer available for testing. So even if they did have a suspect, they had nothing to compare him to because of the way the um, DNA was stored. It was no longer usable. And according to Kim's sister, Cindy, um, Kim bit her nails. So there was nothing that they could collect from under her fingernails because she did not have any fingernails. They were, um, you know, nubs. There was nothing they could, she couldn't scratch. And, you know, honestly, there's, there's more I could tell you about this. I could tell you about how, um, you know, Kim's sister found out and it's, it's not even necessary. I could tell you, actually, I will tell you how her, her poor parents found out that their baby was murdered because they, the police took Polaroids from her decomposing body in the woods. And they took the Polaroids to the parents and said, is this your daughter? Because she's not coming back. <sighs> yeah. So. Kim um, is number two of this three-person tale. The fourth is a young woman, uh, 19 years old. Her name is Christina Castiglione. And um, as I had told you, Kim disappeared from uh, Redford, Michigan. And her body was left in uh, Livingston County outside of this, uh, in the woods near this parking ride. She was, um, I don't want to say concealed, um, but it wasn't like with Anne where she was left in a very open area she was in the in the trees in the trees in the bushes she was concealed it, it to some respect so Christina um this Kim disappeared March 20th 1982 Christina disappeared March 19th, 1983. One day. One day. Difference in a year. And she disappeared from uh, the Redford area. She actually lived in that area. She went to, uh, she was 19. She was a 1982 graduate of Redford Union High School. And again, like I said, I, I am torn. I, I felt pulled to this case because um, uh, it must have been uh, 1987, I believe. Um, I started to attend uh, Redford Union schools myself. And uh, so obviously, you know, Christina had already um, been, uh, had already, this had already happened at that point. But this is just, I know this area. I know these, I don't know this family, but these were my people, you know? Um, like I said, she was a 1982 graduate of Redford Union High School. Uh, she was a multi-sport athlete. And even after she graduated, she would come back and continue to help her coach, um, which I think is just amazing. She had a 25-year-old boyfriend, um, named Christopher Lindsay. And, uh, he definitely sounds like, you know, he, he cared about her so much. Um, but she was, uh, a quiet, cheerful and friendly girl. Uh, she worked for Detroit Edison as a clerk, 
but she had uh, she was contemplating quitting that job um, to join the army. You know, she really wanted to to do something with her life, and she wanted to travel and see the world. And in that time, um, that was a way that um, they really pushed people to join the army, see the world, get your education kind of thing. Um, so that was something that she was considering. Just a week before she went missing, uh, she actually sold her beloved Mustang. And she did this because of the insurance rates they were they were climbing. And like I said, growing up in the same area, I get it. I I remember my parents many times talking about insurance rates, even as a small child. So, um, yeah, I, I completely understand that, you know, insurance is very expensive. Uh, so she did not have a car. And um, that brings us to March 19th. That morning, her and her boyfriend, Chris, went uh, to run some errands for her mom. And when they got back... Uh, he was going to go hang, Chris was going to go hang out with some friends and, uh, Christina was going to go take a nap. And this was a Saturday and I get that. I, there is nothing better than a Saturday nap. Um, it's one of my favorite things to do. So they were planning on getting together later. So at about, uh, six, six thirty, you know, she had gotten up from her nap and she'd gotten ready and she called her boyfriend, but he wasn't home. And his sister actually lived across the street from her. So she left and she, uh, walked across the street from, to a sister's house and he wasn't there. So she was like, well, okay. So again, a big mode of transportation in the, in the early eighties, hitchhiking and walking. Um, we walked everywhere. We walked to school. We walked to the corner store. I mean, we, there was a lot of walking. Um, so she decided to take a walk to her friend's house to watch some TV. Uh, she stayed there for about an hour and she, uh, after about an hour of watching TV, she decided to leave. So she put on her jacket and she decided to uh, head home. Well, as she was walking down Five Mile Road, which is a, a like I said, a, a road in Redford, her boyfriend, Chris, actually drove by her. And he had he was in the car with a couple of his friends. But he chose not to stop because, unfortunately, Christina was not a big fan of some of his friends. So he figured, you know, let's not cause any issues and, you know, let's not pick her up. So they actually drove a little bit down the road and they stopped at a convenience store to pick up some snacks or drinks or whatever. And he actually waited for her outside because he knew with the direction she was going, she was going to be coming up to the store. So he waited and waited and she did not show up. So, um, you know, he, he definitely thought that was just very strange. So they actually, so he starts walking back towards the direction that she would have been coming, but he doesn't find her. And he, he heads home and calls her house multiple times and she's not there. And he doesn't want to tell her parents that he had seen her walking because he doesn't want to worry them. And, um, so the next day at around noon, she's still not home and her parents are like, no, this is not normal. This is not good. So they actually, um, call and report her missing on Sunday, March 20th. And, you know, people they looked for, um, it was called into the police. They actually made an attempt. Um, but, uh, there was no sign of her. And then on March 29th, 10 days after she disappeared, a man who um, said he was looking for a place to fish or hunt um, found a body in Oak Grove State Game Area, which, again, is in Livingston County. And 
he was talking to, um, I believe it was a state officer because this was a state, this was state land. And he had, was asking like a, like a, almost like a natural resources officer, um, these questions. And, uh, he had found the body. They called the police and they're, the police were questioning this man. They found it very interesting that he did not have any hunting or fishing equipment with him. Um, they also found it interesting that when doing some digging into this person, that his brother actually owned property near where Christina went missing. Now, when you think about that, if his brother owned property where Chris, near where Christina went missing, that means his brother owned property where uh, Kim went missing. Just keep that in your head for a minute. So the police thought that this was extremely weird and odd that he did not have any um, like hunting or fishing gear, even though he said he was there to fish and hunt. Um and they asked him to take a polygraph. He agreed to take the polygraph. They set up a time. And then when the time came, he refused to take the polygraph or he didn't show up. Um, apparently, there was an issue with um, him. Be, they had they took um, a DNA sample for him reluctantly. There was DNA collected from Christina's body. Um, and from what I've read, the DNA cleared him. But I do believe that the police still do consider him a suspect. Um, you know, he they he did not have any kind of criminal history and there was no evidence to connect him. So they kind of had to just like clear him off the list. From what I've read, the police do still keep him on the list of potential suspects, but there was nothing to con to connect him. And from what I heard, he is actually, I believe, living in New Jersey at this time. Um, now, I told you that a body was found. Obviously, it, it was Christina. She also was sexually assaulted and strangled. According to the Livingston County Daily Press, uh, in an article from July 15th, 1987, the pathologist's report indicated that she was only partially strangled and left to the elements. They do believe that she was killed the evening of the 19th or at some point during the night hours of the 19th because, and this is where they, um, they get this theory from. Um, I have not been able to confirm this, but from what I've read is that it snowed on the 20th and when they found her body, uh, it had snow on it. So I have not been able to confirm that it did not snow at any other times between the 20th and the 29th when she was found. But on the, when they found her body on the 29th, it, it did have snow on it and it did snow on the 20th. So what they do believe is that the partial strangulation and the exposure to the cold is actually what killed her and that she was kind of left to fend for herself, which is extremely heartbreaking because that tells me that she was out there for God knows how long. Um, essentially dying to the elements. So, um, th these are not, these, these are brutal, 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 kill brutal killings. Um, the, the location of Christina's body was at essentially at an intersection that even though this is a state game area, there were, there are roads. Um, part of me wonders, was there a car driving by and it startled this person? Um, from, I, it just, I, I don't, um, 
I, I really don't know. I, I really don't know. The from what I've from what I've been able to discern, Christina was actually strangled. It was manual strangulation. What I forgot to mention with Kim's case is that they that the perpetrator used a rope or a belt to strangle her. Um, and like I said, Christina was more of a manual strangulation. Um, so there has been, I'm going to try to get as much in as I can right here because this is going to cut me off in a few minutes, but there was no robbery. Um, they, they found Christina's belongings. They found, um, Anne's belongings. Kimberly's were not found. I don't know if she had anything on her, um, but, but her clothes were not found. Uh, there is, there has been a suspect of a suspicion, I'm sorry, of a possible serial killer. Um, it, I do find it interesting that all three of these girls were strangled. Christina and Kim taken from the same area and then left in the same area. Again, both sexually assaulted. There are, there are grave differences between the two, of course, Kim held and tortured, Christina not. Um, but again, is it, is it possible that this person, I don't know, is it possible that he had more intention and he, that he wasn't able to carry out? I, I don't know. Um, these are extremely, uh, brutal brutal, brutal, um, vicious murders. Um, another thing that I found interesting between the three of them is that all three went missing on Saturday evenings. Anne was last seen at 9.30 p.m. on a Saturday. Kimberly was last seen around 6.30 p.m. on a Saturday. And Christina was last seen about 7.30 on a Saturday. So to me, something just does not feel something about this feels connected. Okay. I don't know what it is. I'm not a police officer, but the more I looked into it, the more I just felt so compelled that there is a connection between these three cases. And I have to question if this, something like this had happened today, how different would it have ended up being because of the kind of forensics that we have now. Um, but again, these were, these were three young women whose lives were stolen from them. So young. Um, I did want to say I had written it down just before I come, came in here. Um, Christina was wearing, no, I'm sorry that I had, I am wrong. Anne was wearing jeans, a print blouse, in a pale blue windbreaker with the bright yellow trim. And remember, she was walking along G General Motors Road in Milford. And that would have been um, the night of September 26th, 1981. Uh, I do not know what Kimberly was wearing. I do know that Christina Castiglione was wearing a burgundy ski jacket. And it was drizzling that night and she had pulled her gray hoodie up over her head. Um, she had, she was wearing a gray hoodie underneath her ski jacket. So she had pulled her hoodie up. So again, she was walking along five mile road in Redford township. And that would have been, uh, March 19th, 1983. Um, I wish I knew, I tried to get as much detail as I could, but I wish I knew what Kim was wearing. Um, I'm sorry, but, uh, if you know of anything, I am also going to be posting their pictures on the Michigan Unsolved Facebook page. Please do not forget to like and share the Michigan Unsolved Facebook page. I will also put numbers for the Livingston County Police, um, the Sheriff's Department, anything that could potentially um, play, you know, uh, the tip email, you know, you just don't know. I'm, I'm trying to cram everything in here. I've got 55 seconds. Um, just, just remember next week, I want to talk about, um, 
something uh, that I've thought a lot about regarding um, what to do if you or somebody you love were to go missing. Um, we're going to take a little bit of a sec of next week's episode to discuss that. Um, but I am, I've got to go. They're cutting me off here. So, um, I hope you all have a wonderful week. Um, spring is coming. And again, as always, hug your loved ones because you just, you never know when it might be the last time. Hate to say that, but you know, you just, you just don't know. So, like I said, uh, check out the Michigan Unsolved Facebook group, like, share, um, and tune in next week. Thank you.